Hello, and welcome to another issue of the Anesthesia Compass podcast. This is Mike Dobson. My guest this week is Dr. Keith Thompson. He first went to Africa as a medical student, then returned for a spell in Edendale Hospital in South Africa. Although subsequently based in the UK, he's worked on Mercy Ships as a volunteer on no less than 24 occasions, and until recently was a member of their international board. Keith's experience goes beyond those many missions with Mercy Ships, because he's also worked ashore as a volunteer in both East and West Africa. He's asked me to explain that he's got a slight speech impediment, having twice had major surgery on his jaw in recent years. Keith, a very warm welcome to the Anesthesia Compass podcast. Good morning, Mike. It's a great pleasure to be here um, chatting to you this morning. Keith, it's lovely to see you again. Uh, we've known each other for a long time, and I know that you've volunteered many times to work on, work on mercy ships as an anaesthetist. Was, was that what got you started in Africa? Actually, it wasn't, Mike. In 1975, um, I spent three months in a mission hospital in the Transshire as a final year medical student and did all sorts of things. I actually did five cesarean sections. Um, was just an assistant and I got amazing experience there and then in 1983 I spent a year in Edendale Hospital in South Africa as a senior registrar in anesthesia as a fact as part of my training so I've done all that before I went to Mercy Ships for the first time in 91. Yeah good already I'm learning new stuff about you I didn't know that before um when you went to Mercy Ships and, and in your subsequent experience with them, and I know, I know you haven't uh, worked on Mercy Ships for a number of years, but I think things won't have changed that much. Uh, tell us about the sort of patients that the ship treats. Does it, does it do everything? Does it do people with typhoid and malaria and, and uh, fractures and things, or, or is it more specialised? No, the ship actually, well, the original ship I worked on, the Anastasis, that I worked on 20 times between 91 and 2007. Um, we really only did maxillofacial surgery and eyes and some plastic surgery. But um, in the next ship, the Africa Mercy, which was commissioned in 2007, it was changed over, the Anastasis was strapped in India and the new ship came online which was built in, um, well, revamped in Tyneside from a former Danish um, train ferry. Um, we did still the maxillofacial, we did eyes, we did plastic surgery, and then we started doing the psychovaginal fistula surgery and, and also some orthopedic surgery, mainly children with bent legs with conditions like blunt disease. And what are some of the things that get categorised as plastic surgery in, uh, on, in ship surgery? Because we're, we're not thinking about breast, breast reductions here, are we? <laughs> well, actually, it's quite interesting. There's our main plastic surgeon, who's a South African called Tertius Benton. Certainly in the past, he used to spend if you like, his holidays from the ship working as a plastic surgeon in um, the Republic of Ireland, in fact, doing a lot of breast surgery. Um, but on board the ship, he does a lot of um, burns from fractures. Mm-hmm. And certainly in Sierra Leone, he spent time sadly removing the letters, um, the tattooed letters R-U-F from former child soldiers there. 
so more things like that. And in fact, I remember in 2004, we actually did a, um, a free flap into someone who had a small carcinoma around their lip. And I remember being encouraged by that because it worked. And I had to undergo a, um, a radial free flap myself for carcinoma of the tongue a few months later back in Britain. And I was encouraged by the fact if it worked on the ship, it would probably work at a hospital in Britain. And there is quite a lot of head and neck stuff done on the ship, isn't there? For, to, yeah, we, we've, had this, we've had this amazing surgeon called Dr. Gary Parker, who um, first went on the ship in, I think it was about 1986, when the original ship, the Anastasis, was in Mexico on its first trip there. And he went there to do three or four weeks of chest, lip and palate work. He'd been trained at University College Los Angeles. And then he worked as a senior registrar for the health service in the hospital in North Wales. And from there, he went to the ship for a few weeks. And believe it or not, he never actually left. And he's still effective as he's on board 34 weeks later. And I don't mean being a couple of weeks or two or three weeks a year, as I did for 20 years. I mean being full time on board the Mercy ship for 34 years. He's extraordinary. And he's a remarkable surgeon and a remarkable man. Now, cleft lip and palate surgery is something that many of our listeners will be familiar with, but mostly in, in uh, small babies. Uh, but I know in, in Africa, because of the uh, uh, lack of facilities in some countries, some of these patients are, are, are quite old, but the condition is, is familiar. But people may be less familiar with Noma or Cancrum oris, which I think provides also uh, a lot of patients. Uh, with severe disability. Can you just tell us a, a bit about that and, and maybe how it was a, a, an anaesthetic challenge? Well, the first factor about NOMA, if you see a patient with NOMA, 50% of them can't open their mouth, okay? They have a fibrotic TMJ or what have you, so don't get caught out. Um, NOMA's allegedly uh, comes in immunocompromised patients who um, get something like measles and they develop this terrible sort of gangrenous infection in their mouth um, in the jaw and, and it just rots away, it rots away their nose, their lips, everything, or give them a hole in the cheek and give devastating um, problems for those who survive, basically. Unfortunately, the, the bug itself can be treated easily by penicillin, but that's often not available. I have, in fact, very privileged to have a sequence of pictures of an eight-year-old in Liberia actually developing NOMA from a normal face to, to NOMA in a rotten face in 10 days. It's a very unique picture, and then for NOMA society, it's been very interested in that, but no one else has actually had those pictures. But um, it's a quite a tricky operation, a lot of plastic surgery involved to try and repair these, um, usually these children with NOMA. Tell us a bit about the a typical ship's visit uh, in Africa. How, how long does the ship stay around? What sort of place? Well, it obviously goes to places by the sea because <laughs> it's a big ship. Uh, <laughs> how long does it stay? How does, how does the mission work? <clears throat> well, the, the current format is the ship goes to Africa for 10 months um, and stays, stays in one port in Africa for 10 months. In the early days, I'm talking about the the early 90s when I started getting the ship sometimes went for two or three months to two different places or more and then came back to Europe. But the last trip to Europe of the Mercy ship was in 2004. And the last port of call, in fact, 
I was involved with was to Dundee in Scotland, and I was involved in organising that trip. Um, but since then, the Mercy ship hasn't actually been to Europe. But ten months in Africa, and then a couple of months having an annual MOT in usually in South Africa or the Canary Islands. So, and the, there are a lot of places that the ship can go, but there are also places that it can't go. And I know that when they're in port, they will have a transport uh, system for bringing people maybe 100 kilometers to the ship, but it's a long way to the middle of Africa. Um, you said you haven't worked in, on the ship for 10 years, but you have worked uh, and been linked with various projects uh, that are way inland. Um, let me ask you about uh, Uganda, first of all, because I think there's a hospital in a place called, is it Hoima, uh, where you've worked? Hoima, yes. Yeah. How did, how did you first make the link with that, and what have you done there? Well, while I, I was working, for the last 19 years of my career, I worked as a consultant in the North Hampshire Hospital in Basingstoke. And in 2008, I was part of an, um, a team of obstetricians, anaesthetists, and paediatricians who went out to Hoima in Uganda. The visit was set up by an orthopedic surgeon who actually knew it was a friend of the medical director of this hospital. We went out for two weeks and we basically looked at what was happening and sort of worked there. And in fact, I personally had been out with other teams to Hoima for the next um, six or seven years. I went out um, again and I, I used to take some of my trainees with me and give them experience of working. We even had um, some ether still there, it was quite interesting. Um, and we had some interesting experience there working in an African hospital. And the main operation, as in all places, in fact, was cesarean sections there, which were done un under spinal anesthesia. And some of the local anesthetic nurses, there were no physician anesthetists there, were, were very, very experts at, at um, spinal anesthetic. When I've uh, been in Africa with, uh, uh, with Mzungus, with foreigners, uh, I quite often ask them to analyse their experience and say, tell me, tell me one thing uh that surprised you uh one thing that scared you and one thing that you would want to change uh if we ask that question to the trainees that you'd taken out what, what what's your guess as to what their answers would be what surprised you what scared you what would you want to change oh what surprised you i think what surprised you then was probably the the, the lack of um decent anaesthetic equipment actually there. The, the machines were not easy to use. Very often old, donated machines. Um, and there was, there was a lack of, of drugs. I mean, I always told them, whatever you do, you mustn't do a spinal section unless there is some ephedrine available. And I made that absolute mantra, actually. Yeah. You know, you've got to be careful that you, do, you don't get yourself in difficulties. You must really think about basic principles, though it's important. And then you get the odd sort of dangerous things that happen. We were using ether one day in theatre, as with a, tra uh, a UK trainee, and um, there, was, there was sort of blood and water on the floor, and there was a, a connector there with lots of um, plugs in, and some nurse decided that she'd actually clear up the water and stuff, so she kicked the bucket and clear up the mess, she kicked the bucket of water, over the electrical connection when we were using ether. 
I think we were quite lucky not to get blown up actually in the situation. So, um, I haven't really answered your question, but I'm sort of <laughs> one experience. But I think <laughs> okay, thanks. Um, now, you also mentioned involvement with a midwifery clinic in Uganda with a project that's going on. Is that at home or is that somewhere else? Yeah, I've that's somewhere else actually. It's in a, a, a rather a very poor village I haven't personally been to called Cairo Shesha. And um, a friend of mine called Ree Brindle, who's a midwife I met in Beijing State when I was working there um, oh, about 20 years ago now. She, she came out with the first trip to um, Uganda in 2008. And she's got really involved in the area. She's already set up one midwifery clinic, a place called Runga and has raised money to keep that going. And this is a no-hope village on the edge of Lake Albert, where you know, they don't have electricity there, they really have fresh water, it's a nightmare. And how this woman managed to set that up, I really don't know, but she's now linked in with a senior registrar called Alex Chams, who works in Oxford. And Alex is a sharp girl, actually, I'm impressed with her. And they, they started up a fundraising project to build a full-blown all-singing and dancing clinic in this other village. And they only started building it in January. The budget is £53,000 to build this thing. And they've already raised over £46,000 of that in not much time. And my role in that really has been like, I knew a couple of them, people helped. I managed to contact Sir Peter Vardy up in North, up North England. And he's a bit, he gives a lot of money to mercy ships, actually. And he's actually given £13,500 this clinic. That's brilliant. And this thing's almost built, unfortunately, about four months after it started. And for that to happen in Africa, it's quite amazing, actually. Mm, yeah. And I'm um, very impressed. In fact, Alex, Alex Hens and we are both out there at the moment. And um, Alex is obviously very sick to save, basically to save the life of a septic. 22-year-old the other day by doing some major sort of dining operation on it, and um, it, it, it should. And I think this clinic hopefully will get a bit place that more people, midwives, and, and perhaps hopefully training the physicians can then visit in, in the future. Mm. It's really, really encouraging to hear that sort of uh, news coming back on, on the basis of somebody's initiative. And one, one more, before we go back to the seaside and the ship, um, you also told me about uh, a project you're involved with sending patients from Congo, uh, from Kinshasa, <laughs> uh, to get operated in, in Uganda. Uh, and of course, if you look at a map, that, does, that doesn't seem quite so crazy because they are actually next door neighbors, Congo and, and uh, uh, Uganda. But why, why the need for these patients to, uh, what sort of operations are they having? And why, why do they need to go to another country for them? Well, interestingly enough, um, I, um, I was, last time I was on the Mercy ship um, was in Cameroon in 2018. And Dr. Gary Parker, the surgeon I already mentioned, who's been there 34 years, he said to me, Keith, we've had two people from the Congo with large facial tumours, jaw tumours, who went from their surgery on the ship. But the um, Cameroon government um, will not let us bring people in from other countries. They want us to operate on their people, which is fair enough, actually. He said, I don't know how we can help these people, but um, you're the only person I know who might be able to. <laughs> that was quite a challenge. 
anyway, I've given contact details of people um, involved with these two patients, which are Sarah and Hugh. And long the short of it, we managed to fly them out to Kinshasa um, in September of 2018, about six months later, to a hospital in Uganda called um, Corsu, C-O-R-S-U, where I'd already had a surgeon who'd done nearly 40 Ugandan patients for me, in fact, and I'd helped with various sort of small and large facial um, problems. And um, the problem was, as far as everyone knew, there was no surgeon in Kinshasa, even in a population of, of 80 million in the country, that could do a, um, a draw, a mandibular tumor resection and reconstruction. And the locals were saying there's no one that can actually do this operation. Anyway, we threw them in there, and my, my friend Dr. George Gallirango, um, who trained under um, Andrew Hodges, and as you mentioned earlier, I think Sarah Hodges was the main anesthetist there at that time. Um, these two had their operation. They both had the section of their tumour and the fibula free flap. Okay, and Dr. George is probably one of the few surgeons, apart from South Africa, I think in Sub-Saharan Africa, who can actually do a fibula free flap. And um, he was actually trained by Andrew Hodges and also Hank Gill, who's a plastic surgeon in Oxford, had been over to Boston and, and helped train him. Um, but since then, we did two more in 2019. And um, this year, um, the sixth patient since Jan end of January this year has just arrived actually in uh, Entebbe this morning at 1 a.m. And Sephora will be our sixth patient with a jaw tumour that Dr. George will do for us this year. So it's quite an exciting project. And I've mm -hmm. been raising money from families and friends and ones who trust, I know, to help sponsor the project. It's about £4,500 a patient. But that includes surgery, staying in Uganda, flight, passport, visas, the whole lot. So actually, it's not bad, actually. And you're giving people a new life. These tumours, some of which weigh pounds, are so disfiguring. People are rejected, they have no hope. So I feel quite satisfied with the whole project. Mm -hmm. We're only helping a few people, but for the people we do help, it makes a huge difference. Absolutely transforming. Well, thank you very much for doing that. If I could just finally come, come back to Mercy Ships again uh, with a bit of news. Now, I know you, you've had a long association with them and you've been a board member until very recently, I think just a couple of months ago. And uh, I know there's going to be a second ship. In fact, it already exists. It's called the Global Mercy. It hasn't started work yet, but could you just tell us a bit about that, that project? Is it, how is it, is it different from the existing ship or is it a replacement or what, what's it going to do? Well, the first thing, Mike, is it's not a replacement. It, it is an additional ship. We'll have two ships hopefully in action sometime next year, a bit um, COVID dependent. Let's say the new ship has been built in in China. Um, I wasn't involved, but I, above my pay grade, involved in why it built in China. I guess it was the sort of best deal at the time, really. And it cost a lot of money. I believe it cost about 180 million dollars before they build it. I it. And um, but there have been some very wealthy people, particularly in America, who put some very significant donations towards that. The new ship will more than double our capacity in Africa, especially 37,000 tonnes. 
the original script, the African Mercy, seventeen thousand, and it's fully equipped. I mean, you and I might were both on the same, um, I think, Zoom meeting the other day, where um, Jim Pasterson, the chief engineer, is a very good friend of mine. I've known him since nineteen when I first went on the ship in '91. Um, he went round the ship and, and showed the amazing facilities. I think I was particularly struck by the training on board, the training facilities devoted to training. And um, medical capacity building, if you like, is the um, big mantra of mercy ships at the moment, is, is, as well as going into the country and doing several thousand operations on each visit, that we, we, we leave a legacy of improved health care in, in the country by um, helping do up you know, let's say renovate the facilities they have and equip them and also also training of their nurses and doctors that, that are there. So yeah, I think so that's I think the going to be fantastic. Yeah, I think that's a key thing. I mean it's in the last few years Mercy ships have been uh, uh, very much committed to providing training for people so that the, the work can continue. Uh, and I think that's going to be even better. And the teaching facilities that they showed us on that video were uh, amazingly good. I mean, I'm one of your... Um, sorry. No, no, carry on. Just one more thought. One of your um, um, senior registrars in Oxford called Dr. Eva Fitzgerald about three years ago spent two months on board the ship. She didn't give out a second. She was purely involved in training and teaching at local hospitals and organising safe courses and things like that. I think that was fantastic, actually. Indeed. Keith, I'm afraid we're going to have to draw this to an end now. Um, the clock has beaten us, but thank you very much for being with us. Um, there are various contact details that I will give in, in a moment during the, uh, uh, the fade out, but there's one, one other thing that uh, uh, I need to mention because normally there's a bit of sort of rather mundane music that introduces these uh, podcasts and, and that uh, uh, we use as they as they fade away as well. But uh, this time, I hope people will listen because uh, we're going to be played out in a few moments' time to something that you've written. I gather that you got a bit bored during lockdown, so as well as taking on the job of vaccinating people, <laughs> you've also been learning a musical instrument, is that right? Well, I've never learned a musical instrument in my 70 plus years, but I bought a five pound guitar from the hospice shop about a year ago, and I've been having guitar lessons on, on Zoom, and I've now started writing songs, and I think you're very generous and they've been kind about my latest song called Echo of Mercy, which is about the new Mercy ship. We look forward to listening to that in a moment. Keith, thanks very much indeed for being with us today. My pleasure, Mike. Thank you. Thank you very much, Keith, for sharing your experience with us today. Just a couple of announcements for our regulars. Keith and I were talking about the new ship, Global Mercy, and one of the implications of its arrival is that the need for volunteers to work on it will double because the existing work of its sister ship, Africa Mercy, is going to continue. Would you be willing to volunteer your professional skills for a couple of weeks? Keith and I can testify that it's a fascinating and rewarding experience. If you'd like to know more, or if you'd like to donate, go to the Mercy Ships website at www.mercyships.org.uk. Do have a look at the video of the amazing new ship, I was astonished to see on the video of its sea trials 
40,000 tonnes of ship, doing the equivalent of a handbrake turn. If you'd like to hear more about the midwifery project in Uganda that Keith mentioned, they too have a website at www.mamazur.org. It only remains for me to wish you goodbye until next week and hand you over to Dean Amer, who's singing and playing on the guitar, the song that Keith wrote, Echo of Mercy. Take it away, Dean. Voices from afar, we hear your pleas. We're sending you our mercy from the seas. Oh, ship of wonder, ship of light You come across the water giving life Without any fear the blind will see The mute will talk and the lame walk free A life-changing cure, courtesy of no longer people tied down with rope The breaker of chains and the bringer of hope You're taking down walls, lifting ceilings By giving all of your love, life and healing like the star Fulfill your destiny through the years For many you will wipe away the tears Your doctors and dentists and nurses Giving their skills in your service A heavenly reward for those on board The Global Mercy